0: but I'm not going to redo the intro, so. All right. Uh, we are actually, uh, if you've been following along with us for very long, uh, we'll be going through the book of 1 Samuel. We're actually going to be picking up where we left off last week. Thank you, Brother Jack, for that. So we're going to be in First Samuel chapter 2, and we're actually going to be finishing up the chapter. So 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll be beginning... We'll be... Uh, we're going to read... Um, 27 through the end, but uh, Brother Jeff focused on 27 through 30, so we'll be focusing on 31 to the end um, for the message. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, begin reading in verse 27. If you are able, I ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word, and then I will allow you to return to your seats after prayer. Again, that is 1 Samuel chapter 2, we will begin reading in verse 27. And the word of God says Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me, and did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my love, and honor your sons above me, by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar, so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve, and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phineas, On the same day, both of them will die. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. And I will build him an enduring house. And he will walk before my anointed always. Everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, Please assign to me one of the priest's offices so that I may eat a piece of bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne of mercy and grace, Lord, to, to dive into your word, out of your very revelation, Lord, and to be reminded again that this time belongs to you, that this people belongs to you. So, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for not leaving us alone, but have instead revealed yourself to us. In the word which we just read, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Alright, so, before we dive into today's passage, head first, let's go ahead and do a little bit of review, see what we've talked about so far in our, uh, in our series, or in our journey, rather, through the book of First Samuel. So, if you recall, we started... The book of First Samuel. Um, we were introduced to a couple, Elkanah and his wife Hannah. Um, Elkanah actually had two wives, um, and one of them was fruitful and bearing children. And the other one was not, and the one that was not was distraught. Um, she was in anguish. She was crying out to the Lord, and she was um, when they had gone up to uh, to take their yearly trip to the temple. She was praying so fervently that. The high priest Eli, um, whom we just read a little bit about, he thought she was intoxicated, out of mind. And she, so he approaches her. She tells him why she is praying the way she is. Um, and he goes and he blesses her and assures her that the Lord will indeed provide her a son, and she promises to return that son to the Lord and uh, so we we see that and then we see um, we see that the the couple are actually granted a child uh, named Samuel and they um, in due time after after weaning him uh, she takes him up to the temple with an offering and she rather than being rather than again being distraught and in anguish over the fulfillment of her vow she actually thanks and praises God and um, gives over her son to serve in the temple before the presence of the priest and then eventually before the presence of God himself. And then we're introduced to the family of Eli who is um, I'm just going to describe them the way the Bible does um, so you don't think they're being mean and that is as worthless men. Uh, Eli's sons who served as priests in the temple were worthless men because they the offering of the Lord by taking for themselves whatever they wanted and not being satisfied with the portion set aside for the priest. And they not only abhorred the offering of the Lord themselves, but they cause the people to hate it. And we saw a little bit about that. We covered that a few weeks ago. And then we see Samuel is growing and he's maturing um, before the Lord. And in fact, uh, Brother Jeff, um, he, he talked about Um, Samuel growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. And then last week he he started this section where this man of God comes to Eli. And he starts essentially giving him a word of condemnation, a curse. He is declaring a curse upon Eli and his house for what's going on. And what is going on, as Brother Jeff talked about last week in verses 27 through 30. Eli's house and Eli, in particular, as the high priest and the leader of his family, they are they are twisting and warping the worship of God. They are taking the worship of the Lord that He has declared, that He has decreed, that He Himself prescribed in the law, and they are completely disregarding His precepts, and they are doing His sons in particular are doing whatever they want And the man of God says to Eli He says You have honored your sons Above me Part of being a Christian Part of being the family of God Means hating what God hates Part of being a Christian Part of being a child of God Being a member of the body of Christ is loving what God loves and hating what God hates. Because for God to love as perfectly as God loves, He must also hate as perfectly as He does. In order to love that which God loves, you must hate that which rises up or is in opposition to that which God loves. Which means even when the people we love are doing those things which God hates, we must hate those things that they are doing enough and love because we love God enough to confront those sins. And my friends, not just in the world, not just in America, but in the church, there are a lot of things happening that God hates. There are a lot of things being done in the name of Christ as worship or service or ministry that God absolutely hates. And as members of the family of God, as his children, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, it is our moral and theological imperative, which means we are called and commanded to Oppose those things that are opposing God, even by those who profess to be Christians. And I would say, primarily by those who profess to be Christians. This is where Eli failed. Because it is the height of hate. To place our love for someone or something above our love for God. And it is not love to twist the gospel and your theology to accommodate the sins of somebody you care about because you don't want to lose them by confronting their sins. This is where Eli failed. had like, twisted the law of God so that he could accommodate the sins of his son. Whether with full acceptance or with tolerance, that is hate. And that is honoring those in our lives, those whom we care about whom God may have given us to care for. That is honoring them above the Lord. And this is where Eli fails. So this man of God comes to Eli and tells him, "Because you have hated the law of God by honoring your sons above God," verse thirty. Therefore, the Lord of the Lord God of Israel declares, "I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever." God is recalling a promise He had previously made to the family to which Eli belonged. And this was the priesthood of Aaron. And Aaron had many sons. And what he's saying here is that I had promised your father that his family would serve for me. And that promise had extended to you and your family, Eli. But now the Lord declares far be it from me, for those who honor me. I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Your translation, instead of lightly esteemed, it may say, uh, be treated with contempt. That's fine. Um, your translation may say something to that. Effect. The idea here is that, or your translation may say that um, those who uh, those who despise me will be disgraced or dishonored. Um, these are all. These are all good and applicable translations of this word. The idea here being, God is saying, I honor those who obey my commands and those who disobey are treated according to their actions. Verse 31, the man of God continues, Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength, Your translation, you may say arm, that's fine, and the strength or arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. So now we're seeing that Eli's accommodation of his son's sin because he honored them above the Lord is not just costing him, is not just costing his sons, it's costing his entire lineage. The man of God says, I will break the, the arm or the strength of you and your father's house. He said, I will remove the, the power and the influence you have by the positions that I have given you. He said he's going to remove this entire family, this entire arm, this entire branch of the Aaronic priesthood from service. From serving before God, which was their birthright. And as, as a member of this line of the Aaronic priesthood, Keep in mind, the Aaronic priesthood belonged to the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi didn't have land. They weren't apportioned a particular section of the promised land. Instead, they they lived and served in and around the temple. So to be a member of the tribe of Eli and a member of the Aaronic priesthood was to serve in and around the temple. And if you were removed from that, if that was taken from you, where are you going to go? How are you going to eat? He said your entire line will be cut off from the blessing that I have given to this tribe. From the honor I have bestowed upon them to serve before me. And he says, so that there will not even be an old man in your house. And he says this twice. Verse 31 and then again in verse 32. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel. And an old man will not be in your house forever. is. Working the gospel so that we can feel better about the sins of the people we love—I think we have a pretty clear picture here. That's the express line to hell, because now you're no longer preaching the gospel. You're no longer even believing the gospel. You're instead believing some fabrication of your own mind that makes you feel better. Because you don't want to believe that somebody you care about, somebody you love, somebody who maybe even loves you, you don't want to believe that they're going to be excluded from the promises of God. So, so it is natural to want to to accommodate. It's natural to want to expand our theology just a little so that we can we can bring them in under the tent and we can feel better about not confronting them we can feel better about not speaking the truth to them in love and instead all we do is give them a kiss of death He Gila's accommodationism had consequences and ramifications for his entire family. Not just the ones living, but the ones to come. The man of God even says, you will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel. Which means what? While Israel is prospering and is being blessed by God this family is going to be punished they're not going to get to participate in their portion of the promise verse 33 yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul will Breathe. God is saying it's not going to happen immediately and right away. There will still be some of your family serving before my presence. But it will just be this 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 something that we're like, okay, little ray of hope, little ray of sunshine, okay. It's not all bad news. And then we keep reading. He will remain so that he can witness the complete removal and separation of the family of Eli. He will remain, this this one will remain so that a member of the household of Eli can witness and receive the full final effect of the curse. My friends, this isn't isn't just a curse on the house of Eli, just some interesting thing that happened once upon a time. This is a warning. This is a warning that outside of Christ, There is no hope. There are no second chances. There's not a do-over. This isn't golf. You don't get a mulligan. Outside of Christ, what awaits you is eternal separation from the presence of God. It's what awaits all of us. And what, what this man of God is this curse he's pronouncing on Eli. And this does eventually happen. We do see this happen. We see eventually that the household of Eli, starting with his sons, are killed or removed from the priesthood. There is one who remains by the time the kingship is established. His name is Eliothar. And he serves in the temple for a while. But as Saul rises to power, he sweeps through the land of Nod. And he executes the priests. And again, Abiathar remains. We see one entire generation of priests cut down, as my translation says, in the prime of life. Your translation may say they will die violently, or die by the sword of man, or die as men. The idea here being that they will be killed, they will be executed, they will die before they reach old age. And one remains, his name is Abiathar, one remains. And he remains at the time of Solomon. And Solomon finally excommunicates him. Because he carries with him the sin of his family. He continues on in the sin of his ancestors, Hophni and Phinehas. And Solomon excommunicates them, banishes them. This idea, this, this total removal of those who do not obey God, who do not worship Him as He has declared and decreed to be worshiped do not serve him in the ways in which he has ordered that he be served. This removal is complete, and it's total, and it's fine. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar, so that your eyes, your translation may say his eyes, will fail from weeping, and your soul grieve. And all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. And this your that's in my translation, I may say his, that he, um, that his eyes may fail for moving, that his soul will grieve. This your the your that's used here is a it's a literary device used to, to bring the point home to the person receiving the curse. The idea here is you're not going to actually live to see the curse. To see the full effect of the curse put in place. But the one who remains will. And that's why he says, This will be a sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phineas, On the same day, both of them will die. This happens, doesn't it? We're going to hear, as we uh, continue on through our, through our trek through First Samuel, we're eventually going to come to a passage that talks about the news that Eli receives about his two sons dying on the same day. And when he receives this news, he doesn't just receive the news that his son's died. he receives the news that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And upon receiving this news, Eli, Eli who the Bible says at this time has got pretty big, falls backwards out of his chair, snaps his neck, and dies. So upon receiving the sign of that was promised to him that this curse was surely to take place and not just the death of his sons but the removal of the ark of the covenant which symbolized the presence of God among his people. He like then dies immediately. And those who were left I can imagine, did nothing else but weep and grieve in their souls for what they had witnessed happen. Not necessarily the deaths of these two priests, but the removal of the presence of God from their midst. My friends, If there is is not a clearer picture of what awaits us outside of the presence of God, apart from His promises, apart from His grace, apart from His mercy, then what is? We don't see, I think, a clearer picture until we get to the cross. When the glory of God departs, when we are left to our own devices. Outside of his grace, removed from his presence, all awaits us as pain and suffering and the reward of our sin. But it doesn't end there. It's not just, I'm going to cut off the priesthood because you guys clearly don't know how to deal with it. It's not just, I'm going to remove the priesthood because you can't do it, I can't trust anybody else. It's not what happens. The passage keeps going. Verse 35, But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. These are, this is the hope. This is that hope we were looking for. That, that hope, that glimmer, that thought we saw when, when God said, I won't kill all of them immediately. I won't remove all of them immediately. That glimmer of hope that we thought we saw is now a full beam lighting the way to a bright future. He says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. That sounds great. And we see something like this eventually happen. We see eventually that Eli and his sons die. And Samuel kind of comes up here. And he fills in that gap. But Samuel's alive eventually... So then we see in the time of Solomon, after Abiathar is banished for, for his sins, we see the, the installation of the family of Zadok. And they come in and they fill the as priests. They're descendants of Aaron who are fulfilling that role. And they are serving faithfully. And they serve. We believe well into possibly even the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. God says, "I will build him an enduring house." Your translation may say, "Sure." The word that's translated here as "enduring" or "sure" is the same word translated earlier, verse thirty-five, is "faithful." I will raise it for myself a faithful priest and I will establish for him a faithful house. Or I will raise it for myself a sure priest and will establish for him a sure house. And he will walk before my anointed always. And here we see the second reference to the future establishing of the kingship in Israel. That starts with Saul and ends about as drastically as we're remembering it does and then goes on to the last day with referred to as the anointed or as God says my anointed and he says he will walk, this faithful priest will walk before my anointed always now we also have here, I think, a pretty clear indication in the future, the distant future, so we have we have imminent promises for for the foreseeable future being made in this curse of the removal of a family from the priesthood and the establishment of another family that will replace them not just not just temporarily but for good. But we also see here a forever priest, a forever priest who will who will walk forever before my anointed, God saying, My anointed. And this forever priest, while I think we obviously see a slight fulfillment in Samuel and then a fuller fulfillment. In the family of Zadok, we see an ultimate and a final fulfillment in Jesus Christ Himself, who comes as our who comes and serves even now as our great high priest. And this walking before his anointed, he doesn't just he doesn't just serve as our great high priest, he also serves as our king, as our eternal king. And we see here a slight, just a little hint. The possibility, of the future promise of the united in these two offices in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that the eternal, faithful priest will walk forever before the eternal, faithful anointed. And will serve fully and completely both offices forever. We also see here, I think, an establishment of the church, a future promise of the church serving as the kingdom of priests before this holy anointed, this before this anointed one. There's so much wrapped up in here, in these verses, that don't just that don't just give temporary hope to those who are watching this family of priests crumble not just from their sin but from way the curse be laid upon them we're also seeing an eternal hope being promised and eventually fulfilled verse 36 everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and will say please assign me to one of the priest's offices so that I may need a piece of bread why is the family of Eli being removed from the priesthood well their chief sin the, the one that is the one that is pointed out most obviously <clears throat> is the sin of their stomachs as I mentioned earlier being dissatisfied with the portion assigned to the priests they are taking for themselves the portions set aside for the people and for God himself. You'll remember the servants of the priest coming and with meat hooks plunging them into the pot or the cauldron or what have you. And whatever they pull out of getting, they're taking back to the priests, Or even coming and requesting uncooked meat. Which was well outside the prescription of God. And so, the curse, the punishment the this, because Hophni and Phineas are using their positions and their power to fill their bellies. When I remove your family, they will start, and they will come asking, begging for some type of priestly role. Just so they can the punishment fits the crime. family. not just here. The punishment fits the crime in every case in which God dispenses justice. That is why, in our finite minds, we might we might see an eternity in hell as disproportionate. But on God's scales, because God is the one whose honor has been impugned, whose law has been violated, eternity is the only way justice can be in that. And that eternal punishment is a cup that we drink. Or is it the cup that Christ drank? Someone has to drink the cup of God's wrath. Someone has to drink the cup of God's justice. Someone has to pay for my sins. And this is why, this is why Christology is so incredibly important. Because Christ is just a man, and the sacrifice was good for just justice. if Christ is just a God then his sacrifice is impossible because God can't die but if Christ is full man and fully God then in him not only can he represent God to me, he represents me to God and can take upon himself the penalty for myself and pay it in full what you think about Christ is the most important thing you are ever going to think about. What you think about Christ, what you do, that's why every religion, every false religion across the face of the earth, they have to do something with Christ. Because at some level, deep in our, in our essence, in our core, we know that this person is so important that I have to figure out something to do with him. And if he's not standing in your place, if he didn't take those nails for use, if he didn't breathe his last with your dying breath, then the judgment falls The judgment falls on you. And there is nothing, there is no end to paying off that debt. It's not a debt of money. It's a debt of honor. And we have besmirched the one who has given honor Bible when we be disobeyed. Because it's, if the standard is perfection, and I fail to perfection, just once, I'm altogether imperfect, altogether guilty. But the one who is perfect, the one who is not guilty, stood in the gap take that for his people. Are you kind of alone? If you're not, today's the day to cast yourself upon his mercy. If you are, today's the day to be reminded and to remember the gratitude, the deep now of to the one who not only we sinned against but who forgave us freely and at his own cost let's pray Father in heaven we come before your throne to lift your name Lord we just read in your word what awaits those who disobey outside of your mercy? Those who cause even these little ones to stumble to strain. Lord, those who make a mockery the worship that you have set down for your people to follow. And Lord, we confess that we are incapable, we are unable, and unworthy to fulfill this perfectly. So we cast ourselves on your mercy offered by the one who came to fulfill the law perfectly both as priest and as king and Lord we pray that any in this room who is not relying on that mercy Father, that you would do what you do and remove the heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. Take out the cold, dead, immoving chunk, and replace it with that which is warm and beats and yearns for you. This is our prayer this morning. And above all else, Lord, we ask that you would do with us according to your will. May this which we have read today, which we have studied, together, which we have which into, may your spirit take it with us and apply it to us as we leave this Reminding us that obedience isn't just our prerogative, it's our pleasure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.